Hi, I'm Tony Hines, and you're listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. Today I want to talk about change, and how we manage change, and how we cope with change. And I'm going to begin just by thinking about key thinkers from the past who inform the present when it comes to change and learning. So I'll begin with Aristotle, who talked about practical wisdom. And he wasn't concerned about learning in the same sense that Plato was for idealist intellectual interest. He was more concerned with learning and gathering knowledge that meant you could do something with the knowledge. And the more learning and the more experience, he talks about practical wisdom. And this was picked up by Benjamin Franklin when he said, it's not what you know, but what you can do that matters. So again, the focus on practice. What can you actually do with what you know? Edmund Husserl was an Austrian philosopher and he made contribution to the development of phenomenology and he said do not be limited by your horizon of experience so in other words your own experience might actually be a constraint to learning so you have to learn from others and beyond to be able to raise the horizon of your experience and that's what he meant by the discussion of course he said it less succinctly than that in many volumes of text peter drucker needs no introduction. He's made some great contributions to management and management thinking over many years. But one key phrase from Drucker sticks in my mind, and particularly as someone concerned with supply chains. He said efficiency is doing things right, and effectiveness is doing the right things. So he makes the point that efficiency and effectiveness are both important, but one is not the same as the other. Now, that might seem obvious to some people listening, but for me, it's the crux of how we manage in business and particularly how we'll manage supply chains, because some of us will be very concerned about the efficiency of those supply chains, but ultimately, it's the customer that determines the success or otherwise of any business, and you have to be effective in doing the right things if you're to satisfy the customer. Reg Revens was an English academic and a consultant. And he said, without action, there is no learning. But Revens developed a different way to understand what's going on in any organisation through his action learning method. And action research and action learning are central to the practice of business. And of course, to understand what's going on in any supply chain. So I'll come back to Revens a bit later in this discussion. W. Edwards Deming, of course, needs no introduction. He's the quality guru, and he worked on his project to improve effectiveness through continuous improvement. So two aspects of change here. You can be more effective if you focus attention on change to achieve continuous improvement. And of course, we know that many people followed in those footsteps to do just that in business and in supply chains. 
And the final person I'm going to introduce in the introduction is Peter Sanger. He's an American academic and consultant, and he wrote two very important works. The Learning Organization, which is about ensuring that the organization is able to learn from its experiences. In other words, people in that organization do the learning and share it so as it's retained in the business. And he also wrote The Fifth Discipline, which is all about change. And he talks about how important it is to do learning systematically to ensure that that change contributes to improvement. And again, essential to supply chains. And anybody that's read The Fifth Discipline will know that Peter Sanger introduces the beer game in that particular book. And so for many of you out there listening who know about supply chains, you'll have probably played the beer game. And so Sanger's contribution, important to our present understanding. So there we are. That's where we're headed. And now I'm going to talk about change and learning in the context of supply chain. Learning might be seen as the beginning of our understanding about our world and about our business, of course. And it's not just about learning about business, but it's about learning about supply chains in particular. And when we think of supply chains as so integral to the development and efficiency of businesses, and without them, we can't serve that customer effectively. So I'm going to focus attention on supply chains, but from a point of view of change. Change should be seen as an opportunity to rethink and reframe ideas about what's happening in the organization and how to influence and shape the future direction of the business. Most people see change as a threat, but I really want to turn that round and talk about change as an opportunity. It's an opportunity to reorganize, reshape, reconfigure and reconceptualize what you actually do. You might have practices in your organization that have been around since the year dot. And some of those practices may need rethinking, reshaping. You have to think about the original purpose. Why were those practices developed in the first place? That time may have passed, but you still carry on with the practice. And it might be time to rethink and reshape. For some, of course, opportunities can be just as bad as threats. Because if you get too many opportunities... How do you prioritize and select those that are going to optimize the performance of your organization? Well, it's a tricky one. We'll come back to it later. Perhaps the first thing to think about is not optimization, but to select an opportunity which you can easily manage and you perhaps have experience in doing something similar in the past, which might help ease that particular choice. Sometimes, of course, an opportunity that arises may just be too much for the organisation. And no matter how you look at it, the risks become too great. And those sort of opportunities, I think, need to be set on one side. I don't think you can take too high risks. It's not sensible, unless you have a plan to scale for the particular risk and it becomes less of a risk. But I think you've got to make choices that suit your organisation. And somebody's opportunity might be somebody else's threat. I remember talking to one business many years ago and they were taking on a big contract and they thought they'd taken on a step too far with this contract because it was going to dominate their production lines, it was squeezing their margins, but they had to produce the volume on a regular basis at a consistent quality and the standards imposed 
by the buying firm were perhaps more stringent than those imposed by other customers. So effectively, they were going to increase cost to meet those standards and challenges. They were going to reduce the margin to get the volumes higher. And in a way, that kind of risk can be just too much of a challenge. The temptation, of course, is always the revenue that you can, with one major contract, increase your revenue substantially. And so the attraction of increasing revenue, say by as much as 50%, gives an opportunity for growth. But you have to ask yourself at what price. And so if your margins are squeezed, your costs go higher, and you're concerned that the customer that you're taking on might dominate your production lines, you have to ask the question, is this worth it? And you have to give serious thought. It may be, I'm not saying you reject it, but you have to know exactly what you're taking on. What are the risks? What are the costs? And what's the profitability? It comes back to Daniel Kahneman's thinking fast, thinking slow. If you jump at an opportunity and you don't think about it too much, you might find that those risks show up further down the track and you haven't given them enough thought. And if that's the case, then you really needed to think a bit more and more effectively. So you had to think a bit slower about it. So opportunities may present themselves, but you don't have to take them if the risks are too great. But if you want to change the scale of operation in your business and you want to get fast, rapid growth, then sometimes you have to grasp the opportunities, but you have to know what you're in for. What's it going to cost and what are the risks? You need to ask the question, what changes are going to have to be made to your processes and your organisation if you take on this opportunity? And will this opportunity impact the rest of your business, positively or adversely? The worst thing you could do is take on a new opportunity, which is stretching your resources, but worse still, impacts your other customers. The customers that have been the mainstay of the business. And it may be that you lose them as well as the customer that you're seeking to take on because you've stretched the resource base and indeed your capacity and your management capability just that little bit too far at this time. This is not to say that this mightn't be a good opportunity further down the track, but it might be better to renegotiate a very big opportunity to do it on a trial basis to see how it goes for both parties. So the contract could be written in such a way that it's for a period of 12 months with possible extension and take it on shorter term. So you have to think perhaps a little bit differently about how you can take the opportunity without taking the risk as much as you need. When you begin the process of change, any change in an organisation, you have to sit down with people and talk through what this change will mean for them and put this together with other conversations throughout the organisation. But you can't just look at the problem from the inside out. You have to also be aware of what's happening outside the organisation and what developments and challenges are taking place there. And you have to learn also from others' experience. Perhaps there are other people that have faced the kind of challenges that you're facing. And therefore, if you could find out a little bit more about what they did and what they're doing to meet those challenges, that will help you to understand the nature of change that you will undergo by accepting a particular opportunity. And that's always very important. So to have a dialogue with people, a conversation, is an essential first step 
to understanding change in your organisation. It's also useful to have a sounding board, so somebody independent. So I know we all decry the role of consultants because we say the consultant tells us what we knew and gives us a nice flashy report that we can file away at great cost. But that's not always the case. Sometimes consultants will perform a very important role and it may not be a firm of top consultants. It may be a single advisor. It may be somebody that understands the nature of the change that you're going through and is effectively an independent voice with no prejudice to give impartial advice for you to understand the decisions that you might want to take and the risks that you might be taking too. I'm a great believer too that organisations have to learn and they have to learn fast to face up to the challenges and responsibilities that present themselves. So when you're framing the problem, you want to be sure that you're taking into account all the different variables that will impact on the decision and that particular problem. So the first question you might want to ask is, who knows about this? Who has information about this type of problem? And it's not just opinions, views, or half-truths, or apocryphal stories that you need, but you need data. Data will provide you with some hard facts to determine the dimensions of the problem. And when we talk about data, it's not just quantitative data. People jump to the idea that data is just numbers. Well, numbers are important, but it's not just quantitative data, it's qualitative data too that we need. It's qualitative data to understand not just the size and scale of a problem, but to understand the nature of the problem. You need to know who cares, who has emotional investment in getting the change made. So it's not just talking about the problem or the possible outcomes, but is somebody wedded to this particular idea? For example, is an external investor driving the idea? Is an internal director driving the idea? Is a particular manager pushing the idea? And the promoter of the idea is important because you need to understand why the idea is being promoted and the purpose and the possible outcomes and risks. The other thing you need to understand is who can do things? Who has the power to reorder resources so that the change in your organisation can occur? I remember working with a, an international company, which shall remain nameless, many years ago and talking through some of the change that was needed. And there were some very good ideas coming from within teams in the supply chain who were talking about what they could do and how they could improve things. But what they wanted to know is, was there a will was there a mind that would be acceptable to these ideas? And would they allocate resources that were sufficient to make the changes that they proposed? Now, I convinced them in a very short period of time, the only way to get such change that they were talking about was to look at the numbers and to present a case whereby the return from making the change was greater than the cost of making the change. And if you can prove calculations in that way, it often has great persuasion on those concerned with return on investment and profitability, both in the organisation and externally, the stakeholders, the shareholders and others. Learning, of course, is a key process involved in change. If you want to change something, first of all, you need 
data on the present situation that helps you understand what's currently happening. And then you need to examine what's likely to happen when the change is made. What's the likely difference? And you have to look at both the good and the bad that could happen. So you need to assess risk. You know, for example, there might be a 90% chance of this happening or there might be a 50% chance of this happening. And that can make the difference between the assessment and the evaluation that you make about whether something should go ahead or not go ahead. Now, when I was doing research some time back, I was very keen always in organisations on something called action research. It doesn't seem very popular now. I don't know why, because it's very relevant. And action research tried to understand what was going on in any particular situation. And Reg Revens was one of the great advocates of action learning. And the great thing about action learning, it was grounded in the problem. So you always had some knowledge and understanding of a situation from the people who were involved, from the nature of the organisation, the nature of the business and the interactions and interconnections that took place. And it was important to unpick those. One of the key things that Revens pointed out, which seems so obvious but is often overlooked, is the difference between what he called the clever manager, the technical specialist or the expert, and the wise manager. The managers who ask the essential questions of their experts. And he observed that much time and energy in organisations was spent trying to be clever rather than trying to be effective. So you have the expert manager or the technical expert demonstrating how clever they are in the minutiae of a particular decision, be they an engineer, a finance expert, a software developer, an artificial intelligence person. They have the ability and they have the knowledge, which is very specialist, but they have to be challenged to bring out the best. And that means you need the wise manager or the wise team member to ask the questions. Revens introduced a bit of humour into his action learning model, where he had learning equal to P plus Q. He talked about his P's and Q's. When he was talking about the P's, he was referring to programmed learning, and that's what his P was, because he basically argued that the education system was designed to provide only for that type of learning, codified learning. And he said what people needed in organisations was learning beyond the P, which he called Q. And so the Q represents questions. So it's the ability to have critical questions. And that's the important addition. And so fine for people to apply their expertise, but they need to be put under scrutiny and ask questions to justify the reasoning. And he basically put together four steps. He said there were four major blockages to managerial learning. The first one the idealization of past experience, that you rely too much on that past experience and you think the future is going to be a continuation of that past. The second one was what he called the charismatic influence of successful managers, meaning other successful managers. So they argue their case succinctly and they get influence beyond their argument. The third one he called the impulsion to instant activity, in other words, do it right away. 
And the fourth one he called the belittlement of subordinates. In other words, not giving other people a voice. So today we'd say, don't rely too much on past experience. Don't pay too much attention to the charismatic influence of other people. Listen to what the argument is. Don't think it's a necessity to do something instantly. In other words, the fast response rather than the thoughtful response. What Kahneman called the slower response, the more reflective response. And listen to everybody, not just those who have titles or a role, but to people who may have a contribution to make because they actually work doing something that you're interested in. We're really thinking about learning through experience when it comes to supply chains. But we also need to uplift that experience. In other words, go beyond the experience to learn from what others know about any given situation. And this is why we rely on experts or people who know in detail about the topic of interest. And we can learn by questioning those people critically and coming to arrangements that don't necessarily give some kind of perfect solution, but rather a pragmatic solution to the problem. Now, when it comes to useful knowledge, we could all do with some, I'm sure. But what do we mean by useful knowledge? Well, I'm going to give you a short guide to what I mean by useful knowledge and what people have said about useful knowledge and how we can apply this concept to our own supply chains. It was Benjamin Franklin who said, It's not who you are that matters, but what you can do. And by this statement, and that was made as long ago as 1784, but by that statement, he was essentially saying that it was the value of an individual or a person to make a contribution, to do something. And that was the most useful skill. What can you do? You can't live on titles, you can't live on roles, you can't live on wealth or reputation, but you have to do something. Franklin was basically concerned with utility, the value of what could be done. And while the idea of useful knowledge in that sense is a good one, of course it develops in the American context into pragmatism. And pragmatism is a very useful way to think about how we operate in our existence, in our daily lives. We can't be idealistic. We can't stand up and say, if only. We have to deal with what is. And to deal with what is, you have to be pragmatic. You have to find a solution that works. And the solution that works is what we search for when we manage our supply chains. We have to have solutions that work in the context of what we're doing. Now, one of the reasons why change and change management programs often fail is because they're seen as short-term, as a quick fix. And that's not what we're talking about here. The type of change we're talking about is strategic change. It's a cultural change. It's a change for the longer term. And if you embed a culture of change with learning processes that are aligned to the aim, then those are more likely to succeed. And that's what I'm talking about when I talk about change in the supply chain. It's a shift in the mindset. It's a change of attitude. It might involve different beliefs and a different belief system. And it's an educative process. We're actually learning to change. And we change through learning. We need to respect our colleagues who may have different views and they may have different experiences. But nevertheless, have something to bring 
to the discussion, and we should welcome contributions from anybody who is able to make that contribution. And this goes back to Franklin's idea, what can they do, rather than who they are or where they came from. It's what can they do right now. And if someone can make a contribution, then they should be welcomed. If you lead the team, you should lead with humility. And you also need to remember where you started from. Often we forget where we came from and how much we've changed in the process of our own learning. And what we're trying to do now is to encourage others to take on responsibility and change through learning. And learning is a continuous process, which means, of course, that change is a continuous process. It's about continual improvement. And if we can continue to improve, we can strive for excellence. But excellence isn't a point which we reach. It's a way of being. And that's important to understand. It means that we can only be excellent and maintain excellence through continuous improvement. And I'll leave you with some final thoughts. Just as we talk about supply chains being adaptable, agile and flexible, so too must we be agile, adaptable and flexible. And that's not just in our mind, although that is important. It's in our response to others. We need to be agile, adaptable, flexible and, of course, responsive. And that makes for a happy team. And if the team is motivated and focused, then they'll serve the customer better. And after all, that's what Supply Chain Advantage is all about. Well, that's it for this edition of Chain Reaction, all about Supply Chain Advantage. I hope you've enjoyed the episode on learning and change, and I hope you've learned something in the process. I'll be back on Saturday at 12 noon with the News Roundup, all things impacting global supply chains this week. So I'll see you then. But for now, I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. Bye for now. The Chain Reaction Podcast is written, presented, and produced by Tony Hines. Hi, I'm Tony Hines. I'm here to tell you about the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. I've been researching and writing about supply chains for over 25 years. I wrote my first book on supply chain strategies in the early 2000s. Each week we have special episodes on particular topics relating to supply chains. Now we have a weekly news roundup every Saturday at 12 noon. All things impacting global supply chains in that week. So come and join us on the Chain Reaction Podcast. I look forward to seeing you there. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. Bye for now.